0: TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to a place of wellness and healing for both your body and mind. Get ready to live a happy, healthy, whole food life that totally rocks. You're listening to Shiny Healthy You, the straight-talking natural health show for busy women, with your host and naturopath, Jules Galloway. Today's guest started out as a client and ended up as a friend. She was one of the first people to join my Shiny Healthy You program, and I had the privilege of watching her go from strength to strength. From chronic fatigue to recently conquering, for the second time, an epic mountain bike race in New Zealand, this is one focused woman who knows what she wants, and once she gets her eyes on the prize, you know she's going to smash through all kinds of barriers. I've brought her on the podcast today to show you that it can be done. You can go from feeling blah to feeling fabulous. Not only that, but we're going to spend the next half hour or so picking her brain as to how she stayed on track. Please welcome to the show, the wonderful Penny Woo! Penny, tell me a little bit about how you came to be ill with chronic fatigue in the first place.
1: Um, I'm not entirely sure how it came about. I know there are a lot of factors involved in my chronic fatigue. Um, How I became aware of it was a doctor that um, was taking care of me, flagged with me one day that I was seeing him just far too often for antibiotics for various illnesses, particularly sinus infections. And he flagged with me that I needed to do something about it, or he was going to put me on a drug, which was basically a mild antidepressant they use for children who wet the bed so that I slept properly and rested and started healing overnight. At that time, I said, I don't want to do that. And he gave me six months to find my own way to start um, moving on and getting better and not getting sick and not asking for antibiotics again. That's sort of where it all started.
0: And what do you think were the factors leading into you becoming ill in the first place?
1: Um, I think one thing that came, that came up when I had some blood tests was that I had had glandular fever at some point and never knew about it. And as a consequence, I didn't take care of myself properly at that time. I probably just thought I had a bad flu or something and being a typical Sydney corporate person just kept powering through using drugs or whatever I needed to. Um, I had a lot of other factors, including anxiety, um, a desire to do a lot of things that my body told me I couldn't do, but I didn't listen. Who's going to listen to that? It's holding me back. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And just life, particularly growing up in a city, living in a city lifestyle. You know, probably particularly when I was younger, partying too much, drinking too much, and just pushing through and not listening to my body, eating poorly, and just basically just doing all the things that are opposite to what I now do in my life. So, yeah, I think there are a lot of factors that came into play. Sleep was a massive one of those, and sleeping very poorly, which I have done all my life.
0: And how long do you think you were sick yeah. for before you started, like, looking for answers? Like, when, when did you start looking at what else was available out there for you to, to do, to try and help?
1: Um, as far as how long was I sick for, I started getting sick probably when I was about 10 or 12. So I started getting sick really young. So but didn't think anything of it. I was just a sickly child. Um, looking for answers probably as soon as my doctor gave me a bit of an ultimatum is it's either you start getting your shit together or I'm putting you on this drug, um, was the trigger point for me to, to take a look at everything from my diet to my sleeping to my lifestyle to everything. And that was the doctor just saying, That's it, no more and I just really didn't want to go on this synthetic drug. Um, I wanted to, to really find a way and that was the beginning.
0: Yeah, right. So the, those are the three pillars, aren't they? Like there's the diet, the sleeping and the lifestyle. So did you, did you like tackle them all at once or did you kind of just pick them off one at a time? What did you do first?
1: Um, the very first thing I did was actually contact a friend of mine who was a kinesiologist because I thought, well, modern, you know, Western drugs aren't, going to work for me that's what I'm trying to avoid and so she put me on to an acupuncturist and so the very first thing I did was go and see an acupuncturist went there kind of like yeah yeah whatever had never had anything experienced anything like that before went and had this acupuncture treatment didn't feel like anything had happened at all and that night was the first time I'd slept through the night in probably 20 or more years and I actually slept through my my partner at the time was just like we both Woke up the next morning and went, wow, we didn't realise how poorly we slept until all of a sudden, and yet it didn't feel like anything had happened in the acupuncture treatment. It was, it was quite extraordinary to go, this is what sleeping actually feels like. So that was step one. From there, I went and bought a new mattress and just went, well, we spend ten thousand dollars on a car, twenty, thirty thousand dollars on a car, yet we are real cheapskates with a mattress that we actually spend eight hours a night on so we went and bought a good mattress which when you look at the cost per use and how much time you spend in <laughs> using it really isn't that expensive so I now invest in good mattresses <laughs> and just changed a few things up took the television out of the bedroom so the very first protocol was definitely my sleep and it didn't fix everything but it definitely helped
0: yeah and then from there where did you go so the sleep comes back Online And then that that gives you a bit more energy, doesn't it? So where did you take it next?
1: Um, So next was my diet and really starting to notice. So I was very – I had a lot of IBS. It was unofficial, undiagnosed, but I knew certain things. I'd have a flat stomach every morning and then by the end of the day, I looked like I could have given birth overnight because my tummy was so big and I went, okay, this isn't right. So I gradually just started playing with what I was eating. And at the time – You know, I still had a pretty active, not active, that's not the right right word, but let's just say I was quite happy to have quite a few drinks and go out and things like that. And I noticed that beer really triggered me. So I started playing around with yeast and different foods and noticing when I was bloated, when I wasn't bloated, when my tummy was more settled and that kind of thing. And so I sort of started deducing a few of my food intolerances from there, and gradually started, because of that, moving towards a more whole field whole foods diet, more fresh fruit and vegetables, and all of that kind of thing. So that kind of happened just by trial and error. It's probably my next step. And then through that whole process, um, I was practicing Pilates. I was doing a lot of fitness, probably too much fitness. (laughs) But I, at the time, well, at the time, there was a sort of an attitude of you don't have energy because you're not fit. Um, And that was kind of a general attitude, you know, society-wide that you were tired and you didn't you didn't have energy because you weren't fit and yet the more fitness i did the more tired i was but i kind of thought i just had to push through and there was some sort of magic boundary and that i was going to push through and suddenly i wouldn't be so tired all the time and i'd have energy little did i know at the time in actual fact i was just making it worse and worse for myself because that's not how what my body needed um but I didn't have that information and knowledge at that point in time. I was doing the wrong kind of exercise despite absolutely loving it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I was surfing and kickboxing and I was doing yoga and I was going on adventures and climbing twice a week, you name it. I was doing it because I was trying to push through that magic point of if I get fit enough, I'll have energy and work a full-time job in a demanding industry and, yeah, and it didn't work. Oh, my God. Yeah,
0: no no wonder. No wonder. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, seriously, what, what's the the saying I, I heard from a naturopath a while back, which was pretty hilarious, which was like, if a candle had seven ends, you'd be burning them all? <laughs> Oh my God. Hey, you know, recently yeah. I, I read a study that was talking about uh, exercise and how doctors up until very, very recently, and probably some of them still are, were recommending exercise as part of the way to healing chronic fatigue. It was like, they, and they were saying that, you know, prior to this new information coming out that you actually did need a fair bit of exercise and to do what you could and that's apparently just been debunked I saw something um, in the news online like only a couple of weeks ago where they've actually debunked that whole theory now and they're saying that if you've got chronic fatigue and you feel like you can exercise fine but if you don't you don't have to push through so I think that's really really good um, advice and information so you were you were surfing rock climbing definitely yoga so which, which things did you drop did you drop everything or did you drop pilates yoga? kickboxing so did you drop everything uh, like did you drop all the activities or did you just drop the really strenuous stuff like the surfing and the kickboxing
1: yeah i was also cycling cycle classes oh i did everything um when i hit the when i finally reached a point where i went hang on, this isn't working. Um, I dropped all the high-intensity cardio stuff and I stuck with the Pilates and yoga. So I then went towards, as I tuned into my body more and more and more, I um, went towards the exercise that challenged me but nurtured me. So things that really helped me tune into my body further um, and work with um, my hypermobility, which is one of the big factor in my chronic fatigue. Um, and so it actually helped me stabilize myself both physically and mentally and also emotionally because I was listening to my body and acknowledging it and working with it imperfectly. There is no, there's nothing perfect <laughs> about the way I go about it, <laughs> but, um, I certainly tuned in more and more and more. And those, diff- those practices, um, Pilates in particular changed my life. It Um, I hadn't known until I really got into the Pilates that I had been living chronic pain and I'd never realised because it was my normal Um, until I'd been practising Pilates for quite some time and particularly I went into my teacher training and I became so much stronger and more stable at the same time, had this nice mobility rather than instability of the hypermobility and it wasn't until something happened and I actually injured myself. I went, I haven't had pain. I haven't taken a single painkiller in six months and I hadn't even noticed. And it was that moment that I just went, wow, this is really working. And this practice has changed my life. And then I added yoga to the mix, which was amazing for my headspace. Um, more challenging on my. For me, physically, it doesn't necessarily support me in the same way Pilates does, but I like the combination of the two. And through doing those two practices, I've been able to gradually return to other things like mountain biking, which was never even on my radar or an option previously. Yay! (laughs) And I learned through all of that and now through mountain biking that for me, um, I have to go about doing these things really slowly said so to build my fitness to learn an activity intellectually i can learn it really quickly but physically for my body i have to really slow build um if i try to push or you know they say that for a boot camp in six weeks you get a big difference no for me it's three months it might be three months it might be six months but what the average person might get a breakthrough in six weeks i've got 12 to 24 weeks is how long it takes me. And it's taken me a while to learn that and accept it, but it works. Yeah. So what might be a three-month training plan for one person is a six-month training plan for me. Yeah. But you
0: you need to do it that way so that you don't get injured as well, wouldn't you?
1: Well, as a consequence, it also lowers the chance of injury. So it means I can do things I've been either – historically i couldn't do or a doctor or surgeons told me i will never ever do um and fitness wise i've gotten there fatigue wise i've managed to very gradually build my body up to it and then injury wise i still get the occasional injury because of the hypermobility and other stuff i've got going on but the injuries yeah i've minimized the injuries compared to other people who've just gone hard out in a really short period of time which is awesome
0: So talk to me about hypermobility uh, just for the people out there who are listening because I think it's one of those very undiagnosed conditions out there. I think uh, there's more people out there with hypermobility who don't even know about it than than we even thought possible. So take me through um, a little bit about what it is and, and how you found out that you had it.
1: Um, so hypermobility is um, it's actually there's different levels of hypermobility and it's to do with the connective tissues in your joints, so that basically your joints are quite lax and free. And depending on the extent of the hypermobility, you might have dislocating or semi dislocating subluxing joints. In extreme cases, known as Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, you actually have problems with the connective tissue in your organs, and you can be very unwell. With people being wheelchair bound and having to wear special braces and things on their fingers so their fingers don't dislocate as they do day-to-day things. Um, my level of hypermobility is not to that point. Thankfully, I don't have it in my organs, but I do have it in my joints, particularly my wrists, my knees. Um, various parts of my spine, my neck quite badly, ankles. Basically, I sublux my joints quite easily, so my wrists and my shoulders in particular. Um, I really became aware of it when I used to have my necklaces dislocate rolling over in bed. So that was the extent that I had it, and I did have surgery on, my, on one knee in particular to stop that happening because it became very debilitating. Um, if with hypermobility you'll see people can get their thumb right down against their wrist or even without any stretching, they can not touch their toes but put their hands flat on the floor and there are a number of other tests that they do to check that. I see a bit of it because i now on the side of my corporate hat, teach Pilates, and so um, as happens when you have some sort of pathology, you tend to have, end up with a lot of clients with the same pathology because you can teach them in a way that you understand what they're going through. One of the things that happens with the hypermobility as I've gone further into my studies in um, neurology with Pilates is that the, the um, neurological messaging getting through to the joints Um, and passing through the joints is actually it has to work. It's almost like it's jumping over a little jump or a cliff to get that messaging through. So it's actually quite exhausting for your mind and for your body to get that messaging through, as well as um, certainly until I did Pilates, I was very floppy. So I'm the kind of person who quite literally ran into doors and walls and I still do (laughs) if I'm not paying attention or I'm tired (laughs) and I'll just smack my arm into a door it happens and I just laugh at myself (laughs) and it's um it's quite common but it is it's like you're a floppy rag doll until you learn how to control your body and it's actually which I didn't realize just how exhausting it was because again it's my normal and until my studies kind of went oh hang on a sec that's actually quite exhausting holding yourself together when you're quite a floppy rag dolly um biomechanics so, um, so yeah, that's one of the factors that plays in. That's why I mentioned it a bit. So things like in your, di- in your shiny healthy diets and various things, bone broth is amazing for me because I'm getting the collagen and helping all my connective tissues. And I really notice the difference in my joints, which is awesome. That's, that's amazing.
0: Do, do they actually know what causes the hypermobility? Because I I do know that uh, I've read a lot about hypermobility and celiac disease being connected. And I'm assuming that's because with celiac disease, there's a real lack of nutrition that happens because you're eating, but your gut's so inflamed, you're not absorbing things like your iron and your minerals, etc. Um, so is Is hypermobility linked, do you think, to nutrient deficiencies in childhood when you're building all this connective tissue, or is it genetic, or where's your research led you?
1: Um I've seen all sorts of things. I know I've definitely read that um, quite a bit about it being genetic, and I know within my family alone, my mum, my sister, and one of my so one of my sisters, my mum, and my brother has it. Um, all, it plays out differently in all of us. My mum, growing up, she used to play basketball. Her knee dislocated, dislocate. She'd bash it back in and keep playing because that's what they did. <laughs> oh my, God. my sister used to think it was a fun party trick to get, dislocate her shoulder in front of people, not realising quite what she was doing to herself or how bad it was. <gasps> and my yep. brother, I think, with a different physique, and he's a big boy and a strong You know, he's a strong man, so he didn't play out so much, but he certainly has the characteristics, like, you know, all of us hyperextend our elbows and our knees have that, you know, that hypermobility in our wrists. So we all have characteristics of it. Um, So certainly we can see that within our own genetic family tree, and I've certainly read a lot about it. Um, and for the different forums that I've been part of for the more for the EDS versions, particularly some of the people who are at you know the more acute end of the scale, they do see it passing down to their children, and you know, and all of that kind of thing as well. So the research I've done and that I've been exposed to, it, it certainly has been more of a um, a genetic. Um, predisposition
0: and is there anything because I know I'm I'm just um, I'm thinking ahead here and I know that there's going to be a lot of mums listening who perhaps think they have hypermobility and they're worried about it, passing it to their kids is there anything you can do to help you know bolster the kids so that they're going to grow up stronger like you did mention the collagen and the bone broth is there anything else that you've come across that would help
1: um I think it's a combination of the nutrient-dense diet and definitely those sorts of things. Um, I'm certainly no expert, and I'm still muddling my way through it myself. (laughs) Having worked with um, kids a little bit in a Pilates context and watching a lot of children move, um, it's actually looking at what kind of sports and movement they do when they're younger and things that actually help them stabilise and learn how to do that so that it actually becomes of their everyday part of their everyday happening, rather than them um, doing stuff that causes injury. And then down the line, you have to relearn how to walk. You have to relearn how to walk, as I mentioned, walk, but without hyperextending your knees or stand in a certain way. Um, I also happen to teach flute, and I notice in my flute students, I can see it in them, and I am certainly work on their postures as they stand there to play and I can see all of that now and I have the privilege of having that knowledge I think the other thing I notice and I don't have children so I can't actually you know speak with authority on this but so much of society we tell our kids to sit a certain way and move a certain way we're a natural fact that isn't necessarily the way the body is designed to move or designed to work um squatting is one that we miss from our culture western culture so much and yet it is so good for the body whether you're hypermobile or not um and we don't do it whereas if you watch a little kid they spend so much of their time in a squat yeah and it, it's almost like we train them out of it and we train them out of doing the things that's good for their body so yeah i haven't sort of delved into that in detail but I've certainly observed a bit you know from my experience with nieces and nephews and working with kids over the years so yeah
0: yeah I know when I was growing up uh if you know if someone had been just sort of squatting like that on the ground it'd be like here you go here's a chair here's a chair sit on that
1: (laughs) oh my god it's just hindsight's a beautiful thing isn't it (laughs) exactly um but it is interesting looking at it now and you just kind of go, oh, wow. And I love watching how animals move as well and just go, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. The kids, yeah, because they just move with how their bodies are meant to move. They don't know any rules. Yeah. They just do what their body needs. Yeah.
0: So speaking about what your body needs, I know you went – right down to the rock bottom and shed all the exercise and everything but then you started building yourself back up didn't you because I know yeah you know you're now back competing at these like epic mountain bike events so (laughs) so how did you get back there how did you how did you get back are you crazy right word (laughs) are you actually crazy but (laughs) tell me all. tell me how you got back
1: Um, good kind of crazy um, I wouldn't call what I do competing. I'd call it participating. <laughs> <full> <laughs> um, I think I got back there. I think as I was saying earlier, my biggest lesson was build slowly and when your body says enough, stop. So if I'm feeling a little bit tired and out of sorts for a day, I stop. I will sit on the couch or I will go and have a coffee or I will do – Whatever it is my body is telling me to do, and I think the key thing was and is continues to be listening to my body. If I get out there on a trail or if I go snowboarding and it just feels wrong, I don't care. I just stop and I just listen to my body. And one of the things with the um, – so as I said, Pilates changed my life. So I had to slow build with that and I really built up with that. And even then i take breaks because I need to um, with the mountain biking it started out just with mates encouraging me and I gave it a go and I just took it easy going once every couple of weeks and I built it up really slowly and then when it came to the epic events <laughs> as you call them <laughs> um, the first time I did it I was in way of my head and as soon as I was out there on that ride, I just was like what am I doing here And I just found a way to dig in and get to the end and knew what I was going to be dealing with for the next week afterwards, which was a lot of rest, a lot of sleeping, and I just knew. So I was like, okay, I'm going to give this another go and I want to do it properly and I want to know what I'm about and prepare myself, my body, my mind, everything properly. So I actually um, engaged a coach. And um, that coach, I let him know, I explained about, you know, I've got my fatigue, I've got my knee stuff going on, I'm not a very experienced mountain biker. At that time, I think I'd not not even been mountain biking for a year and I was ready to go for my second time ever on this big event, <laughs> which I did at, what, 17 months at mountain biking. So he worked with me on a program that started with really short rides, so 40-minute rides, building up to one-hour rides, and he had very much contained me into how hard I rode on each of those rides and what kind of terrain I rode on and gradually, very slowly built me up over six months. So I took six months to achieve, to, to do what most people would do in three months, and I slowly, slowly built up. So that when I went into that event this time, he'd completely changed my riding style to high cadence riding so that for my body type, it was a higher spin rate, which meant that, yeah, I was spinning my legs faster and cardio-wise. It took me a while to get used to, but I wasn't using power. I wasn't exhausting my muscles. I wasn't fatiguing my muscles. It was all about endurance. So we had a completely new approach that I'd never had before. He really coached me on making sure my nutrition was in order and I was eating every half an hour without fail and what it was I was eating and drinking and I had all of that in order. And I was just engaging the right people. I mean, Jules knows from their shiny sisterhood <laughs> that I would quite often post saying, what do I do for this? I can't eat this. How do I do that? And I just had to keep exploring what it was that fed my body. Um, didn't upset my tummy kept um, I think I've mentioned to you before Jules but I had to make sure I kept weight on because with all the exercise and training I found that I just lost too much weight too quickly and I had to really look at what I was eating in my diet because I find my fatigue kicks in if I get too thin now I'm no skinny mini but I'm not carrying a lot of weight I just need to make sure I have a bit of substance about me because I like to do all these cool adventures. Um, So I just had to make sure that I was eating enough and of the right things to really fuel my body and just experimented with everything until I went out there and rode 47 kilometres and did it half an hour faster than the year pro. (laughs) And I walked away at the end feeling really amazing and I could have done more. So, Yeah. Ready
0: to do it again next year and go even faster. I love it. I love it. I love it. You just you you just give so many of us in the Shiny Healthy You group like that inspiration to go out and try new things. It's like, yeah, I I learned to ride a bike in my 30s, or I went snowboarding, you know, and all these new things that uh, you know at an age where some of us are slowing down. You're like, right, what new things can I do? So I love that.
1: Yeah, so what? I'm in my 40s. Try and stop me. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I love it. yeah. I know- 40 is not the end. I learned snowboard, mountain bike, you name it, 40. It's like, yeah. Why didn't I learn this earlier? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't ready earlier.
0: Yeah, well, you would have been injured earlier.
1: I think so and I think that's why it's all turned up in my life when it has because I'm ready now. I'm ready to do these amazing things and I did my first single track mountain bike race last Saturday. Oh, my God. On technical single track in a tag team where we'd do a lap tag the next person and the next person and six months ago, there's no way I would have done it and I was, you know, challenging myself I walked plenty of that trail but it was so fun and such an amazing vibe and everyone was just cheering each other on and everyone's checking in on each other out on the trail you were never alone even when you're alone you knew someone was only 10 minutes away and it's just even just getting out there and giving it a go and being surrounded by beautiful mountains and forests and people it's just it gives you energy in itself, and then you go home and you go to bed for a day and a half, and that's fine. <laughs> I know that that's what's going to happen, and I just plan for it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. You just mark it in I the spend calendar. the next day,
1: just eating amazing food and chilling out at home in my pajamas, and I just plan it that way.
0: Yeah, talk to me about the amazing food. What what does a typical day look like? Because I get to see your photos of, of your lunches and your dinners in the Shiny Healthy You group. I, I love it.
1: A typical day? I don't think I have a typical day, but um, my breakfast will range um, from a smoothie, one of the various amazing Shiny Healthy You smoothies to whatever it is that I decide to create any given morning, Um, and always make sure that there's things like chia seeds and some sort of protein in it um, as well as bananas or um, berries or something like that because I know because of the amount of exercise I do both in my work and my um, personal time that I need quite a bit of protein. Uh, Alternately, I have chia puddings, which I love, the coconut vanilla chia puddings. So I've come up with my own. Start with Jules's base recipe and then I throw granola in it and my own now homemade bikinis. I don't know how you actually say that, Jules, <laughs> but my flatmates think it's hilarious. I say bikini, it sounds like I'm wearing swimwear. I know, um, it's not swimwear. <laughs> um, <laughs> so my, my flatmates are like, are you eating swimwear again? <laughs> no, it's these buckwheat things I've made. Um, <laughs> to, you know, bacon and eggs on. I found this amazing paleo bread here. that I have a toast. I, um, gluten-free buckwheat pancakes. I just, I love breakfast. I'm one of these people who I need to eat in the morning. So I just always make sure. So if I'm busy, like this morning I was racing out and taught some classes before I put my corporate hat on back to event manager mode. And so I made a smoothie and took it with me on the run. And I knew that I was getting really healthy, nutritious, filling food while also getting to work on time and able to um, just get on with my morning without having to spend a huge amount of time in the kitchen. Um, I do like my coffee. I love my coconut milk flat whites. I'm a big fan of coconut milk flat whites. Um, So I still do have one or two of those in a day, depending on my day. Um, If I'm feeling a little bit out of sorts, I really like to have um, my bone broth in the mornings Um, and some days, like Sunday last week after the race, I just had bone broth all day. I just made a fresh batch of bone broth and I was just drinking it all day because I really felt like that's what my body needed. Um, For lunch, my lunch can range from, it just depends where I am and what I'm doing, but I'll often cook up something in the evening, be it some eggs or some leftover chicken or steak or something like that and make a salad with it or um, I've found these amazing brown rice cakes, tamari brown rice cakes that I'll put goat's cheese on and whatever toppings I can find. Um, I love food. So I'll eat as much good-tasting food as I can possibly find no matter where I am. Um, And dinner's a massive variety from I'll Make an Indian Curry from Scratch um, because I have have added allergies of onion and garlic, which makes life interesting. And I like to just cook up amazing concoctions using, yeah, the shiny healthy recipes and my own variations and just eat (laughs) – lots (laughs) lots <laughs> I love it Bring on the food
0: <laughs> yeah. I think that's why we're friends <laughs> Hey <laughs> Hey Penny if someone if someone's out there listening who has chronic fatigue and they're looking for answers what advice could you give them especially if they're just at that point yeah. where they're just starting out
1: Um I would say if if you can find other people like you and chat to them so you don't feel alone, uh, I think that's where something like Shiny Healthy You, and I actually met Hayley, um, Haley Carr, one of your amazing um, mentors in Shiny Healthy You years beforehand. And knowing there are other people out there like you who have come through it or who are working through it really helps because you don't feel so alone, and I think That was a really big thing for me, not feeling like I was alone and muddling through it by myself and that what you're going through is not imagined because other people out there have felt it and experienced it and have been through it too. I think definitely for me, knowing there's other people like me and there's support and people you can turn to and go, hey, this is what I'm experiencing, this is what I think, what do you think, that kind of thing, I think I think that's a really important thing.
0: Yeah, you mentioned forums as well. And um, yeah, and Hayley's been amazing. Haley, if, if anyone hasn't heard of Hayley Carr, please go and check her out. Um, she's at hayleycarr.tv, I think. And she's actually in episode 33 of this podcast where we do talk about how she herself suffered from chronic fatigue and got back from that as well. And she's that same sort of personality as well. She's very driven. She's very adventurous. And so slowing down and and grinding to a halt for a while, it's a challenge for a type A, isn't it, Penny?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Sitting still and stop, you feel oh, it's just it doesn't compute in your head. You're just like, but I'm being lazy. This is wrong. This isn't right. But your body's just saying you've got to do it. And working through that process of listening to your body and doing what it's asking is huge and so important.
0: Yeah, yeah, really wise words, really, really wise words. Sometimes the the people who need to stop the most are the ones that are going to struggle with it the most. It's it's like the old, if, if you don't have time to meditate, you should be meditating even more, right?
1: Yeah, I think I've said it to you. Um, I put it in a post on the Shiny Healthy You forum. Um, I think my biggest learning, which I now teach my clients, my Pilates clients and even friends, is learning to work with what I have rather than what I wish I had. So going, this is the body I've got to work with, this is the mind I've got to work with, and going, all right, so this is what I've got rather than fighting it and wishing it was something else, wishing I was something else, going, I really like what it is I've got, so how about I learn to, to work with it? And the more I've done that, the more I'm actually getting to do the things I wanted to do in the first place I'm just going about it in a completely new way that is actually honoring myself my body and nurturing it and I'm doing really cool stuff as a consequence
0: (laughs) yeah yeah and that that's why you're such an inspiration to me because you've you've just given so many of us a different way of looking at things so thank you
1: thank you You've certainly been an inspiration to me and it's certainly been a real turning point and tipping point to go, here's this next step from, okay, cool, I've got this in hand but I'm still not really enjoying life, to go, wow, here we go, watch me. <laughs> <laughs> Yay.
0: <laughs> now, hun, I know you teach Pilates over and there in there in New Zealand. Um, where can people connect with you if they want to find you or have a chat with you?
1: Um, I don't have a website yet, but I'm working on it. Um, if anyone would like to contact me, you can contact me via email, um, which is penny at pixicato p i x i c a t o co and I will be getting a website out very soon. I teach Pilates in physiotherapy clinics with all sorts of clients, as well as at gyms. So I do work with people from. People who have had hip and knee replacements have Parkinson's right through to one client who is a Commonwealth athlete, national champion, mountain biker. So um, as far as breadth of knowledge and I'm continually studying with my latest thing being neurological applications of Pilates, I just love it. I'm a Pilates geek. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. I can't wait until you've got the website up too.
1: Yeah. That's from your prompting, <laughs> <laughs> encouragement. I'm like, when's the
0: website up? When's the website up? When's the website up? When's the- I'll tell everyone when it is. When's the website up? <laughs> yeah, stay tuned, dear listener. It's coming. It's coming. Yep. I'll make it's sure coming. it is. <laughs> Penny, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today and for spending some of your very valuable time with us today. I really appreciate it.
1: You're most welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you for all the work you do and how you support all of us who are going through this and help give us some more light. So that, that tunnel, that end of that tunnel, isn't so far away.
0: Yay, you're welcome. <laughs> Yay, even though Skype was a bit glitchy, I'm so sorry for that. I still loved, loved, loved that interview so much. Penny has so many wonderful insights to share when it comes to learning to accept and nurture our bodies while still setting and reaching some pretty awesome goals. I hope you found some great nuggets of information to take away with you and apply to your own life. If you'd like more info on the program that we mentioned in the interview, it's called Shiny Healthy You, Fatigued to Fabulous in 12 Weeks. Go and check it out if you're ready to take the next steps to get back to your happy, healthy, energetic old self. There's a full rundown over at shinyhealthyyou.com now. I'll be back next week with episode number 50. Woo! So stick around, hit subscribe, because there's heaps more awesome stuff coming your way in the world of straight-talking natural health. Till next week, stay shiny and bye for now.
1: This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter, thewellnesscouch, streaming wellness
0: into your lives.